1876, the famous London preacher Charles Spurgeon made the following statement. Quote, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it, a night sky with no star, a waterless well which mocks the weary traveler. A sermon without Christ as its beginning, middle, and end is a mistake in conception and a crime in execution. However grand the language is, it will be merely much ado about nothing if Christ be not there. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Strike up that beatbox. The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the four horsemen. We've all been victims of a bad sermon. And according to Spurgeon, the worst kind of sermon is one without Christ as its center. And so that begs the question then, if we aren't preaching Christ, then what are we doing? Well, we could be moralizing on 10 steps to your best life now or giving a motivational speech, entertaining the goats rather than feeding the sheep. So this is Derek McCarson, and I've got my colleagues with me, Dennis Thurman and Ben Kerfman and Adam Black, the four horsemen. And today's topic is one that should grab every preacher's attention, every student of the Bible. You're going to want to listen to this. And our topic is, how do we have a Christ-centric approach to preaching and teaching? And if we're in a position where we are training our people, how do we train our people to study and teach the Bible with the intent of seeing Jesus on every page? So I'm going to start with uh, Brother Dennis over here. Dennis. Sir. Can we really find Jesus anywhere in the Bible? I mean, what about those genealogies in the Old Testament? What about those bizarre commands we find in Leviticus and you know some of those more obscure stories in the Old Testament? I mean, um, is it really plausible to take this approach, a Jesus-centric approach to preaching and teaching and Bible study, so I'm asking, can you give our listeners a, a biblical basis for uh, preaching the Bible this way? Oh, ab- absolutely. And uh, the late Adrian Rogers had a quote that has stuck with me across many years since I first heard it. He said, uh, and I can't say it like he does, so I won't even attempt it, but that uh, if you read a page of the Bible anywhere and you don't see Jesus, you better go back and reread it because you you missed you missed it and and I think that is absolutely true and the authority for that is uh, found in the words of Jesus himself. You may re- recall the episode uh, of when Christ was on uh, uh, after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus when he met those two fellers that were there, and uh, the scripture tells us that. Uh, 
that the Lord began at Moses and all the prophets and expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's a lot of all, all of Moses, mm-hmm. all of the prophets, all the scriptures, That's a long the things walk. concerning himself. That's exactly <laughs> right. And he talks about how, uh, they, how they talk about how their heart burned within them. Holy heart he opened up the scripture, you know, and, and showed them that. And, of course, there are many other places as well. But, uh, but I think uh, that through typology, through prophecy, uh, through symbols, uh, in, all, in emblems, in all of those ways, we see Jesus. And certainly uh, you can go into the book of Hebrews where it talks about those Old Testament writings being the shadow of which Christ is the substance. And even though Christ, of course, being the fulfillment of that is far greater, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, greater than the temple and the, and the high priest, greater in, in every way, that, again, those things spoke of him, pointed to him, led to him. And I could give you a host of, of examples but just right off the top of my head, uh, I think about when uh, Abraham uh, was told to take Isaac up to the mountain and to offer Genesis him. 22. Yeah. And uh, so in that uh, context, uh, as he's getting ready to be obedient by faith to offer Isaac, uh, Hebrews says, believing that God was able to raise him from the dead, um, that the Lord intervenes and points him to a ram that's caught by its horns over in the thicket. And so Isaac gets up and goes free, and this ram is offered in his place. And if you can't see that as Jesus uh, and the substitutionary atonement, that here we are ready to die rightfully for our sins, but then the innocent one that comes as our substitute, it's just such a, a clear way of uh, of preaching Christ, go beyond that and go into Exodus and the Passover uh, lamb. Uh, You know, all the things that, you know, you can go in in minute detail. Mm -hmm. The tabernacle. uh, About all those things. The tabernacle is another one. And so, uh, you know, I could go on and on. In fact, I'd have to cover the whole Old Testament, and (laughs) I could. Uh, And Ruth, you know, you've got the romance of redemption, uh, in the in David, uh, you've got the son of David, one greater than than David, Esther. Uh, Esther, yeah, for such a time as as this, and so in all of those things, and then of course the the numerous prophecies, right, uh, that mm-hmm. have laid out, like Isaiah fifty three, Psalm twenty two. Mm-hmm. I mean, just on and on, Isaiah 9. Um, you see all Psalm of those things that speak so clearly of, of, of Christ. And so, uh, you know, if you can't find Jesus there, then I think you need to do what Mr. Spurgeon said. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe uh, I would paraphrase and say, go out and sell life insurance. You know, <laughs> I actually said something like that one time during a service. And uh, I said something in my message like, you know, if you can't if you can't preach uh, that text right there, then I might as well just quit and go sell cars. And the guy stood up afterward and he said, "I, I sell cars." And I took offense at that. <laughs> so well, you think, ain't preaching. Yeah, I think he exactly. I think he missed the point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great, uh, brother Dennis. I appreciate that. Um, so Ben, I'm going to turn to you now. Um, I know that you and I have discussed at length uh, outside of the podcast. Uh, 
how this approach of studying the Bible is beneficial and especially personally for you, um, how studying the Old Testament, looking for Christ, that was a great discovery for you. Uh, why don't you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you know how you discovered uh, that type of study and what it's done for you uh, spiritually? Yeah, um, it has been really, really key and still is. Um, I, I feel like after... After all these years that uh, I'm still just barely scratching the surface of the Old Testament, I mean, it is the majority of Scripture, um, compa- just in volume. But um, it's one of those things, especially with us being in a Westernized culture and not really understanding the mm-hmm. Jewishness of the Old Testament. Right. Um, the more that I spend time trying to study that and understand it the way that that the Jews would have understood those things, it really enriches uh, my understanding of the gospel. But, I mean, my story is uh, I went to the same church from the time I was two until I was ordained as a pastor. Um, so, I mean, I grew up in church my whole life, every single Sunday, heard preaching. And I heard the gospel, but I never really got taught a lot of doctrine or theology um, and not a whole lot of Old Testament you know, maybe like a series, uh, one of the last ones I remember there was like a series in Jonah, mm-hmm. um, which, which was really good and, and was expositional. But for the majority of my life, I had never heard verse by verse preaching. It was always just kind of a, a particular story or an idea and it was more topical and it wasn't, uh, unbiblical, but I never kind of got everything connected together. And then when I got in, when I got into college at Fruitland, um, there was a little bit of teaching about typology, which uh, Dennis referenced, which for those who don't aren't familiar with typology, when we say a type, what we don't mean is like a, um, uh, in the sense that most people would think of, when we say like a type of Christ in the Old Testament, what we're saying is, is that this is, this is a picture or a symbol um, of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, there are some instances where people would argue that Christ himself actually is in the Old Testament. For instance, when he, uh, when the angel of the Lord is referenced, um, many people think that that was a pre-incarnate form of Christ. Like but, Christophany. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, and and I tend I tend to lean towards that position myself. But um, but the the thing that really opened up my eyes uh, was the last church that I was in. The the elders there taught through Hebrews verse by verse. And that was the first book that I had heard preached all the way through. And this really wasn't even that long ago. This was probably, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, um, which, I mean, is relatively recent for me. Um, But all of the typology, I mean, Hebrews is just dripping with typology. I would say there's vast portions of Romans and Hebrews yeah. you cannot understand unless you have a familiarity with the Old Testament. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But just looking at how Hebrews is is <clears throat> kind of unlock it, it was it was like a skeleton key for the Old Testament for me. I started reading it and it's like I had heard the Old Testament my whole life. I read scripture at home. I was saved at a young age. So I knew the stories of the Old Testament. I knew a, a lot of the content of it. But it just never made sense for me in the context of a of a modern Western Christian of like, this is good for reference, it's good for morality, it's good for kind of understanding the nature of God, but I don't really see how it's connected to the gospel itself. And Hebrews just blew my mind with 
look at all of these types and shadows, how every single thing in the Old Testament, and the idea that God has been telling the same story mm-hmm. since Genesis 3. Right. Like Jesus is the animal skins that covered Adam and Eve's nakedness. <laughs> Not literally, but that is a type of Christ, that from the very beginning God's saying, Mankind is sinful, but I will always provide a covering. My my grace is always made available because of my love for my people. And that story is just set on repeat for thousands of years throughout history, which also authenticates scripture, right? Because you can't, there's no way people could not Mm -hmm. manufacture something like that, that consistently. And Adam, Adam, of course, is a type. uh, Right. He's the first Adam. Adam. Jesus is the last Adam, right? And he's the the federal head of mankind. So as Adam is the federal head of mankind in his sin, Jesus is the federal head of mankind in redemption for God's people. And, um, I mean, all you go through, you know, uh, this idea of covering atonement, you know, the, the, there's a covering that is on the ark that protects it from the water of God's judgment. You know, there is it's the same word as atonement, uh, by the way. Yeah, exactly. The same Hebrew so far, word. I believe. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, like you were saying, I mean, I get excited just thinking about it because the, the more that I study, even the obscure things, the more that you see it, mm-hmm. you know, like I remember studying a passage in. Uh, Leviticus and people are like Leviticus that's like one of the most boring books in the Bible it's just a bunch of rules about nothing you know and there's a passage in Leviticus that talks about you know you, you take these two birds and you put one of them uh, uh, you one of them you kill and uh, you put it in a jar and you smash the jar and kill the bird and then you take its blood and you dip the blood of the other bird in it and set that bird free right and people are like why, why are you talking about some birds who cares about some birds in Leviticus I'm like we're the bird that's dipped in the blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, the word. there is a bird that's killed, and, and and the other bird is covered in the blood of that. And and instead of that bird having to be killed, it's being set free. Well, why is this story being told? Because it's the same story over and over yeah, again. Yeah. And in fact, it's so wired into human beings that even lost people tell this story. The only reason why people like Marvel movies or Lord of the Rings or Narnia or anything else is why there's always this messianic figure. There's always this idea of people are, people are in peril, people are in trouble. Yeah. There, there's a covering that has to be made. There's someone that has to sacrifice themselves. The matrix. I mean, you could go on. I can point any, any popular movie. I can show you the gospel in that movie. Why? Because it's built into creation. Then um, there's a longing there that people don't even know that they have. And, and to me, it was like, I heard my whole life, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I heard that my whole life, and I believe it was true. I believe I was saved, you know, before I read Hebrews, um, and I wasn't saved because of my knowledge. I was saved by faith, right, mm-hmm. by grace through faith. But I never really understood the gospel until I made that that covenant connection between the Old Testament of um, the Old Testament matters, and there's this story that God's been telling, and that. Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, like the Son of God dying on the cross for my sins in a vacuum by itself doesn't really explain my salvation. I have to look at that in the context of the entire redemptive history, that Mm -hmm. the whole Bible is about this one thing, that the the cross is like at the center of history. Literally, you know, that's how we count our days, is prior to this, there's just sin and judgment and wrath, and then... God's grace is poured out at the cross, and now there's this pattern of redemption until the New Jerusalem when we're, when God's people dwell with Him forever, you know. And there's this huge overarching narrative, kind of meta narrative for all of history. Right. 
that just never made sense. Mm. And so I think uh, seeing Christ in the Old Testament makes a whole lot of sense out of the gospel, and it makes a whole lot of sense out of everything that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, ju- and just think about uh, Rahab, okay? So uh, she entertains the spies, she allows them to escape, and she gets a promise then that when uh, Jericho falls mm-hmm. and the people are destroyed, that she and her family will be saved. But it's that scarlet thread mm-hmm. that's hung out the window. Wow. There's the sign of the one who's to be protected. And and there's a scarlet thread of redemption right. that goes from Genesis to Revelation. That'll that preach. binds all the scripture uh, together. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the scapegoat. Yeah, man. If you can't see Jesus in the scapegoat, all oh, the yeah. sins are confessed upon that goat and then led out to where you, you away from everybody out there to die alone mm-hmm. uh, in in the wilderness for the sins of the people. And I do think it's possible to go too far to where you alle- yeah. allegorize. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of detail that I think really is biblical. Like for instance. You know, it wasn't just a ram that was provided for Isaac. It was a ram that was caught in the thicket. And then you think about the the crown of thorns that mm-hmm. Jesus wore. It's like, oh, is, it, is that reading too much into it? I don't think so. I, I think, I think again, people who knew the Old Testament, Jesus said clearly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you of all people, you are teachers of the law. You should know exactly what's happening right now. Can, because can I, all of these things are speaking about me. All John 539. Yeah. Can I, can I read one thing? Go ahead, brother. First Corinthians 10, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized mm-hmm. into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock mm-hmm. that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now listen to this. Now these things became our examples, those Old Testament things, New Testament truth, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And he goes on, talks about events that happened there and numbers and and so forth. He says these were written for our admonition. But he he says clearly that rock that followed them out there, they drank water from the rock, that was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't mean literally, but he means figuratively. That's what it was teaching Mm -hmm. them. And so I think if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, I think about... um, what uh, one of my professors at SES, Norman Geisler, he said, it always stuck with me, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And when, like Ben was saying, when you see that connection, when the light bulb comes on, it's going to completely blow your mind. It's going to revolutionize your the way you study the Scriptures. It's almost like being born again again because mm-hmm. <laughs> you see things with a completely new light and the the Old Testament becomes a picture book for Jesus, and it's just so exciting. But you mentioned also, uh, hey, aren't we taking this a little too far? I mean, we could we could do like Augustine and just make an allegory out of everything. And, um, you know, there is a danger to that in our interpretation. Especially um, if you're Stephen Furtick. Well, and, <laughs> and, you know, today you go into the average church and you listen to a preacher preach out of the Old Testament, What's the normal approach is it going to be? Well, what we do today, because we're obsessed with ourselves, is we insert ourselves within the narrative. so we Make that, ourselves the hero. Right, mm-hmm. so that if we're reading David fighting Goliath, 
well, we're David fighting the giants uh, in our lives, which there may be a practical application in there, and, and we can take that. Um, but when we do that, when we make ourselves David or Abraham or, or Jonah or whatever, um, we miss what the Scripture is really pointing to, which is Jesus. Um, so I want to turn now to Adam. Um, Adam recently helped me uh, to see a great movie. He turned my attention to American Gospel, which is on uh, Amazon Prime Video. It's well worth the rent. If you haven't watched it yet, you need to. Anyway, they address this topic in that movie, and they show a clip of a guy preaching on the topic of David and Saul. And the preacher is talking, Adam, in there, I'm sure you remember, about how Saul wanted to kill David. And I wrote down the preacher's application. All right, I'm just going to quote it. He said, stop despising Saul. You need Saul. You need people to hate on you and tear you up. You need people to attack you. It is the necessary ingredient to keep you humble in the presence of God. Stop hating Saul. If you've got a Saul, then that makes you David. David. Okay, that was his haymaker application and people were standing up and cheering and applauding adam what is wrong with that application slash interpretation i love a good application but here to apply that how would i do that do i like try to get people to hate me like like how do i apply that like troll people on facebook yeah like if somebody starts to like me that hates me then is am i not doing something right but now i mean that's a bad misinterpretation and i think dennis said it a minute ago uh the question is when it's applied who's the hero um who is the hero in the story and i it's funny um i learned this two weeks ago and this sounds this might sound weird but i'm just being transparent i'm preaching through nehemiah and uh, I was, I've been preaching through it and, you know, how, you know, great leadership skills Nehemiah had, uh, all these great leadership principles that Nehemiah had. Uh, I've spoke on the providence of God and how God's hand was in, in it, but I realized that I was preaching through, through it with not intentionally, but that Nehemiah was his faith and the way he stayed true to the mission. And, and, and that's kind of the way I apply it. Until the other day, or two weeks ago, when I was studying, when the wall was complete, and the wall was complete mm-hmm. in fifty-two days, right. who did the enemy give credit to? Mm. And I'm like, wait a minute, like it that punched me in the mouth because it was mm-hmm. like the enemy recognized what God had done. Mm-hmm. Well, here I am. I didn't recognize what God had done, and that was basically my whole sermon that day. It was like, you know, God's hand was in all of this, and I think that. Um, well, in Nehemiah reference, he's, several times he says oh, that yeah. the hand of my God is right. upon me. And in six of the 13 chapters, prayer yep. is mentioned. So it's all about God and yep. his power. Yep. And so that, and that, that hit me in the mouth because I'm like, wait a minute, God's the hero in this. And then once, once I kind of that light bulb went off in my mind with that whole text, it like opened the whole thing up because then I could go back mm-hmm. and how God's hand was in the entire process. Right. That Trace if it the was, providence of God. That if it was just on Nehemiah, Nehemiah would still be a slave, <laughs> you know, right. still mm-hmm. be uh, the cupbearer. The, mm-hmm. the God's hand was in that whole. So that was, that's a good sermon for you guys to preach, but um, we may but, steal that one. Yeah, there. exactly. We'll, we'll give you a, a yeah, footnote thank you. in it. Thank you. But I think the problem is there is some quality to, 
and I've I've tried to teach our folks and something that I've always tried to do in Bible studies to put myself in those shoes. But I do so because one, you see true human emotion when you do that. Like if I were in those shoes, how would I react? And ultimately some most of the time you see the same reaction that I would have. Um, either denial or fear or you, you see that. But again, you point to who the hero is and who the reliance was on. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't on, you know, David's great slingshot abilities or Nehemiah's great leadership skills, even though they both had them, but how did they have them because mm-hmm. of because of God? And so when you're applying that stuff, the question is, who is the hero? And if yeah. it's not pointing to the greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus, um, then it's it's a misapplication. Yeah, that's that's totally solid. So yeah, God gets all the glory in in that, and and I think certainly, you know, you can talk about what happened with David. And I wouldn't go to the extreme of saying you can't make an application of dealing with these gigantic problems in your life. Right. But but again, it's not it's David is not the one that brought the giant down. David was just a tool that the mm-hmm. son of David works through that, that God Almighty used to bring victory that day. And in the same way, if, if I'm going to, I'm not going to beat the devil. He's, he's going to just wear me out. However, greater is he that's in me mm-hmm. than he that's in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think we hit upon solid strategy for, uh, especially preaching old Testament narrative. Number one, you want your people to understand the narrative itself. What does the text say? Okay, then what does the text mean? And then you need to move on. And if there's any applications personally that we can make, let's do that. But we want to make a beeline to the cross, make a beeline to Jesus and and drive the the people to the cross and to the gospel because that's where the power is. And as Spurgeon said, hey, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Go home and, and, and try again. So um, I think this has been a great talk. And uh, I hope that you guys and gals out there listening will pick up your Old Testament, uh, search for Jesus on every page, and uh, you'll be blown away at uh, the discoveries that you're going to make. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you back here next week on the Four Horsemen Podcast. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast, and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than pass the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine on the the other side they say their grass is greener seen the forecast man they calling for katrina